It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning. And welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ryan Hickey back with you. It is, man, it is good to be back for numerous reasons. Number one, unfortunately for, uh, at least on Thursday, no show. was feeling a little under the weather. Thankfully, not COVID-related, but still fever, some chills, some cold-like symptoms that kind of knocked me out for a few days. So that's why we did not do a show on Thursday. And boy, so not only is it good to be back after missing one show on Thursday, be back after a week right here on the Worldwide Sports Network, it is also great, great to be doing a show when your team wins. Not only just wins a game, wins a big game. We'll get into the Colts win over the Patriots in an hour from now, 10 a.m. Eastern. We will address that win, and if the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts, same team that started 1-4 and four in the season, are they the most dangerous team in the AFC going forward? We, though, have a lot of other stuff to get into as well before we get on out of here at 11 a.m. Eastern. Cardinals, Buccaneers, both lose, we'll say, stunners in Week 15 yesterday. Buccaneers shut out. Cardinals lose to the Lions. Are either of those teams out of the Super Bowl contender conversation? We'll get into that. The Ravens, John Harbaugh does it again. Goes for two and again falls short as the Ravens lose to the Packers 31-30. Is it the right decision? Did John Harbaugh make the right call in going for two, going for the win? Yet again, we'll discuss that in a little bit as well. So as you can tell, a very busy Monday show. NFL Quick Hits as always at 940 Eastern. We got a ton to get into. And oh yeah, by the way. We still have four more games left in week 15. We will preview that two tonight, two tomorrow as well. So a very loaded Monday show for you here as we get ready and head towards Christmas on Saturday. We are coming to you live, as always, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where there's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Let's start with the stunners in week 15 yesterday. Cardinals losing to the Lions by 18 points, and the Buccaneers getting shut out at home to the Saints, 9-0. Not one touchdown scored in this game, no problem. Saints blanked Tom Brady for the first time since 2006. So both teams, right, top of the NFC, Super Bowl contender, both suffer some, suffer, uh, some staggering losses here in Week 15. Who's in more trouble? Cardinals or Bucks? Because me, the answer is Arizona. I'm much more concerned about the Cardinals coming out of this game than I am against the Bucs. And there's really one reason for it. When you boil it down, one reason for it. And that's experience. The Buccaneers have been there, done that. Where they have, where they have played, well, let's call it some bad football, but have been able to piece it together, put it together, and lead to a Super Bowl run like we saw last year. Bucs kind of know how to turn it around, get you know things back in gear, and rebound before... The season spirals out of control. For the Cardinals, 
We have not seen that. We have not seen that from this team. This is a young team, especially at the most important positions at head coach and quarterback. And when it comes to not allowing one loss to kind of snowball a season, we have not seen that the Cardinals have been able to do that yet. So I'm not telling you the Arizona season is done in terms of missing the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs. They're a playoff team. But when it comes to now looking at teams in the NFC, as we start to round into form here at middle, you know, closing in uh, on the end of December, this is where Super Bowl contenders separate themselves, where you play your best football. Arizona is not. So that reason, I got to take them out. They're not Super Bowl contenders in the NFC anymore, at least in my mind. They are removed from the conversation. And you know what? Losing to the Lions by 18, that'll do it. Because it's not just embarrassing. Because trust me, losing to the, at the time, 1-10-1 Lions, or 1-11-1, I should say, excuse me, is embarrassing enough. But it's also inexcusable. Like, sure, teams suffer embarrassing losses. We saw the Packers week one. They got smoked by the Saints. Aaron Rodgers looked like he was totally lost. The Packers team looked like they were disinterested. We have seen plenty of games where teams lose in embarrassing fashion. But you don't lose in embarrassing fashion in December. You can't lose in embarrassing fashion in December. That's why this loss is inexcusable. You need to be rounding, like I said before, and play your best football come December. And the Cardinals are going the wrong direction. They're going the wrong way. They're doing the opposite of that. They are unraveling now at the biggest moments of the season. So how can you have confidence in a team where now as the pressure mounts, when you win games in September and October and November, even when you win games when, when Kyler Murray's not under center and you have Colt McCoy as your quarterback, that's great. That's awesome. That's a mark of a good team. When you can you know, have the next man up, even at the most important position in sports, and never miss a beat, still win two out of three against division rivals nonetheless. But now as we enter into December, where the big boys truly separate themselves, we're now we're looking at great teams and say, oh, who can separate, them, uh, separate themselves to be the elite teams in, an, in a very top-heavy NFC? The Cardinals are sinking like a rock. Because you look at this game yesterday. Again, we're talking about no offense to them, but we have seen them all season long not play very good football. And that's the Lions. And the Cardinals were never in this game. The 10-3 and three Cardinals were never in this game against a one-win Lions team. They looked like they wanted a more Detroit did. They were the more physical team. They got after Kyler Murray all game long. They only got two sacks. Only had four quarterback hits. But Kyler all game long was running for his life, always on the run, out of the pocket, on the edge, throwing contested throws because he's under pressure. That front of Detroit was bullying Arizona's offensive line. And you can't let that happen in December. you got to be playing some of your best football. And the Cardinals instead threw it away. They saved the biggest stinker of the season for Sunday. I mean, look, I get Dan Campbell's team plays harder. That's the, the one thing you could say. They don't have a lot of talent. They struggle in playing fundamental football at times in the biggest moment of the season, although the one win they got against the Vikings excluded. They have failed to come up, you know, they have always come up short in the big moments. The one thing they've always done, though, is play hard. 
They play through the whistle. They play tough. They never just kind of throw their helmets out there and, and give up before a game even starts. And for Arizona to come out lackadaisical, what, like, that's on Cliff Kingsbury. That's on the team. That's an indictment on the entire team. That's the, the, the mark of a team that's not ready for the big moment. Listen, I want to read you this Kyler Murray quote. I think because this is very telling of not just this game, but really where the direction of the Cardinals season is heading right now. Kyler Murray, after the game, after getting their ass kicked, losing 30-12 to to the Lions, he said, quote, they, talking about Detroit, played hard. It was a physical game. I wish we knew it was going to be. Like I said, I don't know what happened today. We just didn't come ready to play, end quote. He said, I wish we knew it was going to be a physical game. That's a team that showed you they weren't focused. They weren't prepared. They did not come to Detroit ready to basically play a rock fight, if you will. This is going to be a, a drag-out, slug-it-out kind of game. Like we said, the Lions, the one thing you can say that they do well every single game, the one thing they consistently show you on film, on a week-to-week basis, is their heart. They play hard. And for Kyler Murray to basically say, yeah, we had no idea it was going to be a physical game. We had no clue they were going to make it a, a tough test for us. What are you doing? What's going on in practice? That shows you all week. Practice was lackadaisical. They're going through the motions. They weren't focused. And Super Bowl contending teams in December do not have mental lapses like that. Do not allow Craig Reynolds to run for 112 yards on him. Do not allow Jared Goff to look like, for the first time this season, a competent quarterback. Jared Goff against what has been this year a pretty good Cardinals defense was 21 of 26. Three touchdowns, no picks. That's not Jared Goff. He's not an efficient quarterback. He's not a guy who throws three touchdowns and doesn't turn the ball over. He's a turnover machine. He's not very efficient. He struggles at reading defenses. He struggles for uh, getting a high completion percentage. But against the Cardinals, looks like Joe Montana. Because the Cardinals didn't care. They didn't show up. That's a direct indictment on Cliff Kingsbury. That's a direct indictment on the Cardinals. And this is why, to me, it's even more concerning than just kind of writing it off as a, a one-off. Uh, you know, we've seen every team have a stinker, if you will. This is the Cardinals. It's okay. No, it's not okay because this is not just one loss. It's not just the fact for me that you lose 30-12 to 12 to Detroit as to why you're out of the Super Bowl conversation. Or why, you know, Monday night at home, you lose to a shorthanded Rams team without their best running back, their best tight end, and their best second-best defensive player, one of the best corners in all of football in Jalen Ramsey. It's not just the fact you lost, again, at home shorthand, uh, to a shorthanded Rams team for now two losses in a row. It's not the Lions game. It's not the Rams game. It's the fact that since they started 7-0, the second half of that season has been a disaster. Since they were the last undefeated team, right, 7-0, then they lost that short week to a shorthanded team in the Packers on Thursday at home to go to 7-1. They have, since their 7-0 start, they are 3-4. and 3-4. and four. And here's where, why the alarm is sounding. Number one, they don't have a lot of playoff experienced players to kind of drag them out of this rut. They don't have a ton of guys that have been there before that say, hey, we're going to steer the ship. We're going to you know, take over the season right now. We are not letting this slip. 
J.J. Watt, experienced guy, out for the year. DeAndre Hopkins, experienced player, out maybe for the year as well. We don't know. Could return for the Super Bowl or possibly the NFC title game. But you have some of your most experienced players, offensively and defensively, who have been to the playoffs, who have played in the big moments, out with injuries. And now when you look at the second half collapses that Cliff Kingsbury teams have had, it's time to get nervous. It's time to look at this Cardinals team a whole lot differently than we did even two weeks ago. This is what Cliff Kingsbury coach teams do. They start off hot and they fall. They start off strong and they can't finish. Again, 7-0 this year, 3-4 and since. Last year, Cardinals got off to a hot start, 5-2. and Remember that, right? Oh, wow. Here come the Cardinals. Three and six, two games at the end of the season. One, you just win one, and you're in the playoffs, lost both. Five and two start, three and six finish. Three, three and one start in Kyler and Cliff's first year in 2019, two and seven finish. But it's not just with the Cardinals. I can go back to Texas Tech every single year. Five and two start at Texas Tech in 2018, 0 and five finish. Four and one in 2017, two and six finish. 3 and 1 in 2016, 2 and 6 finish. 5 and 2 start in 2015, 2 and 4 finish. His first year at Texas Tech, they were 7 and 0. 7 and 0. Finish 1 and 5. The point is, every single season Cliff Kingsbury has been a head coach. This is what's happening. His teams have gotten off hot and cannot finish the job and that's what's happening here again for the Cardinals. 7-0 to 3-4. It's not a, you know, a one-off where, oh, they had one bad finish and this is, you know, just write it off. This is who the Cardinals are. They're a team right now that can't finish the job. That are feeling the pressure of big-time December football and crumbling at home against a Rams team that's shorthanded. That's not even showing up to play the Lions. What are we doing? That's a freebie. In a very stacked uh, NFC, where home field advantage is more important this year than maybe ever, with one bye, with the, uh, with the talent of the Packers that they're playing well, the Bucks yesterday excluded have been playing some good football, the Rams now are getting hot at the right time, the Cowboys are still hanging around. You want to obviously play one last game, and you want everyone to come through your home field. You don't want to go to Lambeau. You don't want to go to Tampa Bay, where you see the home road splits for the Buccaneers. They're really good at home and really poor on the road. You want to go to SoFi Stadium? No. You really want home field advantage. And for the the Cardinals to just throw that game away against Detroit. Pretend it doesn't matter. That is extremely, extremely concerning. And why I don't think they can rebound in terms of being Super Bowl contenders. I'm out on the Cardinals when it comes to making a run of the Super Bowl. But for the Bucs, I'm still confident. I have total faith in Tom Brady. I have total faith in Bruce Arians. And really everyone else on that Buccaneers team. Because like I said, we saw this happen one year ago. For three quarters of the 2020 season, they were not a, a great team. At times, they were basically, for most of the time, they are basically average. I think they were 7-5 and five when their bye hit late in the season. They played the first 12 games, then they had a bye, then they finished the Final Four. So they were 7-5 and five when the bye came. After the bye, they played really, really good football 4-0. But again, before, 
seven and five, pretty average. Wasn't playing. They weren't playing very good football. Could not beat good teams. And they were able late in the season to rebound, pick the season up that was teetering, and obviously, as we know, end with a Super Bowl run. So even though they lost nine nothing at home to a Saints team that was shorthanded with no Sean Payton, with Taysom Hill quarterback, which. My God, we'll get to that a little bit in quick hits, but that is, my eyes are still burning from, from watching that. But the reason I'm not concerned is because, number one, this is a defense led by Dennis Allen, the defense coordinator, that has had Brady's number. The Saints defense, especially since he's gotten to Tampa Bay, has been the only defense that has consistently flummoxed Tom Brady, who has consistently kind of had him left confused, missing receivers, getting sacked, holding onto the ball too long. They're the only defense that does it. Credit to Dennis Allen. He has a system and a philosophy and the players that fit the system that can continually confuse Brady that no one else can really do. But outside of that, no one's been able to slow down Tom Brady. So, okay, fine. You, you, you play one team that kind of has your number. I'm not that concerned going forward when you're talking about the likes of playing the Cowboys, the Cardinals, the Packers. I'm still trusting Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. They are still absolutely one of the, the top Super Bowl contenders for me because, again, we saw them do it last year. They bounced back from a really bad start to finish really strong. And this is a, a game and a team, like I said, that really does have Brady's number unlike anyone else. So I'll chalk it up just fine. The, the, the better defense won this game, the better side of the ball. This is you know one of those one-offs where the Saints defense matches really well against Tom Brady, and you tip your hat and you move on. I have no doubt the last three games, the, the Bucs will kick it back in gear, even with the injuries, and play strong football down the stretch heading to the postseason. So for the Bucs, I'm not worried. This team is still, to me, a, a true Super Bowl contender. For the Cardinals, I am extremely worried. I'm hitting the panic button. I don't know about you. I am hitting that button. I am out on the Cardinals when it comes to being Super Bowl contenders. What about you? What is your level of belief? Are you still believing in the Arizona Cardinals? Love to hear your thoughts. Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Twitter or on Facebook, I should say. Excuse me. i got to get the social media handles right. Facebook is Worldwide Sports Network. Click there. If you don't like us, make sure you like us. You can scroll down. That's where the live feed of the show is on Facebook. Click on the live feed. Boom, there's a little comment section. Comment your thoughts on the Arizona Cardinals. If you're more of a Twitter person like I am, perfect. Our Twitter handle, WWSRN underscore radio. WWSRN underscore radio. You could tweet us there. You could check out the live feed of the show on Twitter as well. And you can comment right there. Same thing on Facebook. You click on the live video. Boom. A little comment section pops up. I can see your comment. We'll read it on the air. Or you can just tweet us again at WWSRN underscore radio. Or easier, at Ryan Hickey Show. Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Same thing. Live feed of the show is right there. Tweet us. We'll get your thoughts right on the air. What is your belief level in the Arizona Cardinals? Are they still Super Bowl contenders in your mind? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show, WWSRN underscore radio. We'll get your Cardinals thoughts. When you do return, another bird team was in the news yesterday. The Baltimore Ravens. They lose a narrow one to the Packers, 31-30, because John Harbaugh decided to go for two, go for the win at the end of the game instead of playing for the tie. Did he make the right decision? We'll discuss that when we do return to listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here, where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Christmas week is upon us. So let's get in the spirit. Let's get in the holiday spirit. One of the best Christmas songs that there is. Jingle Bell Rock. I mean, come on. You can't go wrong there. Upbeat, short, easy to go along with. One of the best out there. That's for sure. We are talking right now decision-making in the NFL. Because I thought at least two things, I want to touch on two things when it comes to the John Harbaugh decision yesterday, end of the game, to whether he wanted to go for two for the Ravens to try to win the game. Uh, was it the right decision or not? And was it an analytics-based decision or not? Yesterday, not only people arguing, was it the right call or not? People were then arguing, is this an analytical decision or not? Two things I want to hit on. Number one, John Harbaugh absolutely made the right call in going for two. There's really no other option. It's laughable to get on him for not playing for the tie. I'll explain what I mean here in a second. Also, number two, it's not an analytical-based decision or even a traditional-based decision in going for two yesterday. There's one aspect, both sides, right? Because now, especially if you're on Twitter during an NFL Sunday, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a wild, wild west. But now, going off of Monday or Thursday's game with the Chargers and Brandon Staley going for it a ton of fourth down, analytics Twitter is out there, and I like both schools of thought. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a hater of analytics. I think it's actually really important to look at the numbers and kind of the trends. But analytics Twitter is on one side. Traditional football Twitter is on another side. I'm living in the middle because there's one aspect, both sides, whether you're a traditional football, you know, person which says, oh, you just always go for the tie. You really never go for it in fourth down, especially your own territory, or whether you're an analytics-based Defender, I guess we'll say, of football where you go for two, you go for two a ton, you play the numbers, you play the percentages, you go for fourth down, punting the football is not a smart philosophy for the most part. There's a part of the middle, though, that both sides miss that I want to bring in here. I think that's, and I think this is where John Harbaugh bases decision upon. There's a feel for the game. There's a flow of the game that both sides have to take into account that I don't think either side truly does when a decision is made. And John Harbaugh picked for the last two times he went for two against the Steelers two weeks ago that fell short to Mark Andrews uh, that lost on the game. And now this time again, going for two against the Packers, Tyler Holney couldn't complete it to Mark Andrews. They lose the game that way. Both times John Harbaugh went for it, it was about feel of the game. And that's, to me, the most important part when it comes to making these decisions. Flow of the game. How is your team playing? I'll get to that part in a little bit, but I want to hit on the actual decision first. Like I said, it is absolutely the right, uh, the right decision for John Harbaugh to go for two. Here's why. One, one player makes this decision extremely easy, and that's who you're going against, Aaron Rodgers. That's why you go for two. That's why you go for the win. You are going against Aaron Rodgers. And guess what? You play for the tie. John Harbaugh, they get the touchdown with 42 seconds left. It's 31-30. You kick the extra point. You, it's 31-31. The longer this game goes, overtime, multiple possessions in overtime, the longer the game goes, the more it favors the Packers winning because they have an all-time great quarterback at the helm. And as we know, that is, you know, obviously gives any team an advantage. We have an all-time great quarterback. More times than not, you give him enough chances, he's going to come through. So even though Tyler Huntley had a really, really good game, right, 215 passing yards, 73 rushing yards, four total touchdowns, no turnovers. In the fourth quarter, especially, he came alive. Right, a race of 14-point deficit. 
was really making Green Bay's defense uh, pay. They weren't getting after the quarterback. He was making some good throws. They couldn't stop him on the run. Tom Huntley played really well down the stretch. So even though you have your quarterback, if you're Baltimore, playing really well, again, the longer the game goes, you still can't feel confident when you're going against Aaron Rodgers. So for me, it's a lot easier to get two yards right there. Two-point conversion, two yards, you take the lead. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to stop Aaron Rodgers and then, by the way, have to drive down the length of the field in overtime, score a touchdown, or try to kick a field goal. Hey, think about it. you got to stop Aaron Rodgers, end of regulation, then overtime, try to go down the length of the field, score a touchdown, or kick a field goal. You can do that, or you can get two yards, take the lead, and then try to stop Aaron Rodgers. Like, it's, it's simple. Every single person, if you, if you give them that option, is going to take the two yards. It's a lot easier to score a touchdown or, or score a two-bag version of going for two yards than it is to go 60 yards, 70 yards, even with how well Tyler Huntley has played. There's no guarantee. One turnover, the game's over. I'd rather take the risk when it's just two yards, one play, here we go. Because you guess what also, when you play for the tie, one thing that I didn't see brought up a lot that I think is missing big time here or is being forgotten about is that if Justin Tucker came on and kicked the extra point, there's no guarantee you're going to overtime. There's absolutely no guarantee. There's 42 seconds left, and the Packers had one timeout. So if you play for the tie, 31-31, everyone's saying, all right, you're going overtime. Are we, are we that quick to say Aaron Rodgers is not going to get in field goal range in 42 seconds with one timeout? Are we nuts? Have we not seen this guy do that before? He's done a lot more with a lot less. We saw it on Sunday Night Football against the 49ers in, what, week three or four? Drove down the field, I think it was, what, 28 seconds left and, like, no timeouts? The guy's a machine. He does that in his sleep. So for those complaining that John Harbaugh went for two and cost the team the game, why are you assuming that the game was even going to reach overtime? They may have still lost even if they got the two-point conversion because, again, 42 seconds left. One timeout is an eternity for Aaron Rodgers to just get in the field goal range. So whether it was tied or whether it was the lead, you had the lead if you're Baltimore, you still had to make a stop just to either get to the overtime period or end the game. And then if you go for the tie, think about this. If you go for the tie and you get the stop, on Aaron Rodgers. You force overtime whether you don't get him a field goal range, whether Mason Crosby misses a field goal, whatever. Then, you're not, there's no guarantee you're getting the ball first. You may have to stop Aaron Rodgers again. Packers win the coin toss. You give Aaron Rodgers the ball again. Feeling confident you're going to get another stop? You're going to stop Aaron Rodgers two times in a row with a beleaguered secondary, mind you, with backups playing for backups. Against a defense that's been a secondary that's been shredded all season long. Again, a large part of his injuries. Ryan Rodgers was on fire for most of the game. 268 passing yards, three touchdowns. Extremely efficient. You're telling me that you feel confident about Baltimore's defense stopping Aaron Rodgers not once but twice in that situation? Game on the line? I don't. I absolutely do not. That's why you go for the win. You get the two yards, and if they converted the two-point conversion, all you need to do is stop Aaron Rodgers once. 42 seconds, don't let him in field goal range, get whatever you got to do, one stop, you win the game. You play for the tie, now, potentially, 
You not only need one stop for Aaron Rodgers just to get to overtime, Packers win the toss. You need another stop now. You're asking your defense to stop Aaron Rodgers twice. That's just for your offense to get the ball back again with a chance to win. How does that make sense? So if you're Baltimore, if you're John Harbaugh, your decision was this. Two yards, take the lead and get one stop on defense. Kick the extra point. Pray to God we stop Aaron Rodgers with 42 seconds left and one timeout in eternity. Them just needing a field goal. Then, pray to God we win the coin toss. If we don't, we got to stop Aaron Rodgers in overtime again. And then, not just if we get the ball back, then we got to rely on Tyler Huntley to either guide them for a, you know, a touchdown to win the game, guide them for a field goal to either, if you somehow get a stop in overtime, possibly win the game, or keep the game going. It makes all the sense in the world. Three, it's a very easy decision. You go for two there every single time. Again, the longer the game goes, the more you give Aaron Rodgers a chance to win. The more that advantage slides towards Green Bay's way. The more time that Aaron Rodgers has the ball in his hand, the more likely uh, the likelihood of Green Bay winning goes up. That's why the decision was smart. The one thing you can get on John Harbaugh for is the play call. That was awful. Rolling out, to me, I, I hate it. I absolutely hate the quarterback rollout. All you're doing is shrinking the field. All you're allowing now is the defense to have the advantage. The field is 52 and a third yards wide. It's pretty wide. You have to make the defense. Wouldn't you want the defense to guard all 52 yards? Or you want to make it easier for them and say, oh, you only got to guard, let's say, 20 to 25 yards of field. Because when you roll out, that's all you got to do. You roll out to the right. All the Packers defense has to worry about is players to the right side. And it worked out. Especially with Tyler Huntley, how, how much he was torching the Packers' defense with his legs. Give him the full field to work with. Let him read the, the defense. Have someone come open. And if not, let him run. You spread the defense out instead of condensing everyone, all 22 players, in a small 20, 25 section, uh, yard section of the field. That doesn't make much sense. So you want to get on John Harbaugh for the play call? 100%. It was awful. But you cannot get him on the decision. It was their absolute right decision. It just failed. Just because a decision doesn't work doesn't also mean that it was the wrong decision. You can make the right move and have it fail, but have it still be the right move. It's not a results-based decision. That's not how you should be approaching it. You can't say, oh, it was a good call if they made it, but a bad call if they didn't. In terms of whether they go for two or not. That's not how this works. That's why the decision to go for it yesterday was the right call by John Harbaugh. The decision to go for it against the Steelers two weeks ago was also the right decision. So I want to get this other point. Because again, analytics Twitter was going off yesterday. Football traditionalist Twitter was going off yesterday. Everyone's fighting about analytics are ruining the game. This is why analytics are good. You got to go for two, blah, blah. Everyone's arguing, was this an analytical decision or not? The answer was no. It was a gut decision. And again, there's one area that both sides of the football belief strategy, I guess if you want to call it, right? The, the football strategy um, believers, whether you're what analytical strategy, whether you're a traditional strategy, there's a part in the middle that both sides seem to ignore that's extremely important here. Feel the game. The numbers tell you, Okay, here are the trends. Going for two, this is your percentage of making it. This is your percentage chance of winning it. If you extend the game, well, here's your, here's your chance of winning it. So let's say if you go for two, your chance of winning it is 60%. But you kick the tie, you know, your chance of winning it is, let's say, only 55% in overtime because, again, you're going against Aaron Rodgers. 
That's what analytics does. It helps give you a percentage chance of winning of success rate. If you make this decision versus this decision. It's numbers. It's all numbers, by the way, before the game. Once you're in the game, though, you got to have a feel for how things are going. If it's fourth and one and the numbers say go for it, but all game long, your offensive line is getting blown off the ball, you can't block anyone, and you can't run the ball, fourth and one going for it doesn't make much sense because if you can't get a push, you can't run the ball, your success of converting is not very high. Going into the game, sure, it makes sense. Okay, fourth and one, we're going to go for it. But as the game plays out, if your offensive line is getting their butts beat, they can't block anyone, does it really make sense to go for it? No. That's where feel of the game is so important. That's why I think for both times John Harbaugh went for it, he went for it because the feel of the game was going the other way for Baltimore. Again, I told you before, you're going against Aaron Rodgers. I don't care if Tyler Huntley had a career game. He played really well. But the longer this game goes again, are you going to trust Tyler Huntley or are you going to trust Aaron Rodgers? Everyone with a brain is taking Aaron Rodgers, and rightly so. John Harbaugh basically said, yeah, you know, they have Aaron Rodgers. I'd rather have two yards with my guy than give Aaron Rodgers the ball back once, maybe twice, with a chance to win it. Smart move by John Harbaugh. The Steelers game a few weeks ago, that ugly game for three quarters, the Steelers' offense did nothing. But guess what? In the fourth quarter, they came alive. They were, frankly, dominating the Ravens' defense in the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson was playing like crap. He couldn't throw the ball. He was getting sacked all the time. His legs were, you know, not effective. He had a really bad game against that Steelers defense all game long. Credit to him. He did lead the Steelers, uh, the Ravens, down to tie the game. But the way the momentum was going, the game's in Pittsburgh. The crowd is hyped. The offense for for, uh, Pittsburgh is flowing. They're going up and down this Baltimore defense. So if you're John Harbaugh, you're saying, all right, my defense right now can't stop a nosebleed. Lamar Jackson's having one of the worst games of his career. The longer this game goes, the more likelihood the Steelers win. My team right now is not playing good on either side of the ball. The Steelers team is playing good on both sides of the ball. So again, you give them more chances to win. The team that's playing better is going to win the game. It's common sense. So if you're John Harbaugh, again, you have a decision to make. Two yards to win, or you continue the game, and most likely, more likely than not, you're going to lose the game. You take the two yards every time. And you know what? The play was there. Lamar missed the throw. He makes a, a throw six inches shorter to Mark Andrews. He catches it, walks in, and the Ravens steal that game. And we're saying, wow, what a great call by John Harbaugh. What a genius. Feel of the game is even more important than relying on the numbers or being a traditionalist when it comes to kicking and scoring. It's the same thing with Brandon Staley going for forward on fourth down as much as he did on Thursday. He got ridiculed for it by a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of people in the media. He left so many points on the board. He should have kicked three field goals. He kicked even, you know, you don't go for a fourth down one time inside the Chiefs' five-yard line. You just kick the field goal. The game doesn't even get into overtime, and the, and the, and the Chargers win the game. But again, it goes back to feel the game. I had no problem with Brandon Staley being aggressive because, again, you go into that game, you realize this Chiefs' offense is potent. This Chiefs offense is still really good. Sure, have they had, you know, they've been in slogs and they have had moments where they have not looked very good. But we saw them hang, you know, 40-plus points two times on the Raiders. 
We saw even in this game, the, the Chiefs offense kind of wake up towards the end. For Brandon Taylor, he knew coming in this game, field goals aren't going to win. To beat the Chiefs, you need touchdowns. You got to knock them out. And unfortunately for Brandon Taylor, literally every fourth down went against, uh, against him. He gets one of those for a touchdown. The game's over. So it's easy to say after the game, you idiot. You should have went, you know, you should have took the points. Why'd you leave? You know, you should have, why'd you not uh, want your field goal kicker out there so many times? You went forward on fourth down, what, three times inside the Chiefs five-yard line, didn't get it? You want more. But the thing is, again, the more that you go for it, if it, if it works, this is a blowout. The Chargers blow out the Chiefs. There's no game. This, is, this game does not get to overtime because the game's like 35-13. Sure, it didn't, ha- it didn't go his way, and all, every single conversion failed inside the Chiefs, you know, uh, red zone. But it doesn't mean the strategy was wrong. Being aggressive is who the Chargers are all season long. They have won games with their aggressiveness. There's also, it's a double-edged sword. You lose games. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. I have no problem with that. Feel the game. If you feel like, okay, we need our offense to win this game. I don't trust my defense, who has been leaky. Going against the Chiefs offense, I could put up points before you blink. Yeah, I'll trust my offense to get one yard here or two or three yards for a touchdown instead of playing it safe and continuing the game. I like coaches that go for the win. John Harbaugh goes for the win. Brandon Staley goes for the win. Frank Reich went for it on three times against the Patriots on Sunday. Got all three. No, I don't see anyone complaining about him. Bad call to go for it on fourth down. The game is slipping away. Two minutes to go, or not even, it was about four or five minutes to go in the game. It's a one-score game. Pages had the momentum back. Colts are in their own end. Fourth and one. Frank Wright goes for it. And he gets it. He took the momentum back. He took the momentum back from the Patriots and kept the game in the Colts' hands. That's what good coaches do. That's the philosophy of good coaches. You feel the game and you say, all right, how can I put my team back in a position to win? John Harbaugh decides to go for two both times. It didn't work, but both times were the right decision. Not even close. Feel the game is just as important as analytics. And uh, both times, John Harbaugh made the right call. There's a fortune for them. It didn't work. One time, the pass was errant from Laura Jackson. The other time, the play calling didn't give him a chance. There should be no ridicule for John Harbaugh. He absolutely made the right call. Just didn't work out. So I'm curious your thoughts. All right, this was a big, big topic yesterday on Twitter. Everyone was, was either frustrated or praising John Harbaugh for his decision. So I'm curious your thoughts. Was it the right call? Did John Harbaugh make the right decision going for it for two to win and beat the Packers? Or should he have played conservative? You think you could have gotten two or three stops in Aaron Rodgers and the offense for Baltimore would have won the game? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. Quick hits time. We bounce around the NFL, hit on a few different games including the Steelers and the Titans play very, very forgettable game. And Taysom Hill, oof. We'll get into that when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twenty minutes from now, or not even actually twelve minutes. What am I doing? I can't even read a clock right. 
we will discuss are the Colts the most dangerous team in the AFC. But before that, as you hear about the music, as you know, every single Monday at 9.40 a.m. Eastern, we, quick, we go quick hits time. Time to hit on the rest of the NFL games we did not touch on so far. Let's start from that Colts-Patriots game on Saturday, but I want to hit it from the Patriots' perspective. I don't know about you. That was the most out of sync a Patriots team under Bill Belichick has looked in a long like that I can remember. I don't ever remember a Patriots team being so undisciplined as they were on Saturday night. They were uncharacteristically sloppy. And you never see that of a Bill Belichick, uh, Bill Belichick coach team. Eight penalties. The, the Patriots came in as one of the least penalized teams in the NFL. Eight on Saturday. And a lot of them are costly. False start penalties that are just about concentration that they weren't doing. They, they had a offsides on a Colts field goal attempt that was missed. The Patriots jumped offsides, moved the ball up. Colts got a second chance, hit the field goal. That three points is obviously huge. We consider how the, the rest of the game played out. And at one point, the Patriots were down by just three points. That's a small penalty that comes up massive that you never see. Ray Bill Belichick, uh, Bill Bell, I don't know why I can't say his name. Bill Belichick coach team. You allowed a block punt that went for a touchdown. Usually special teams is, is a area that is shored up and disciplined. Block punt, recover for a touchdown, big momentum swing there for the Colts. You had two interceptions from Mac Jones, which look, he's a rookie quarterback. Even though we haven't really seen that that much from him this year, to Bill Belichick's credit, to Josh McDaniels' credit, they have really coached up Mac Jones well to take care of the football, but the Colts did um, surprise him a few times and look like, you know, he wasn't seeing or, or wasn't trusting what he was seeing. Two picks of them, one in the red zone that was really killer for New England. It, Kyle Duggar losing his cool, getting ejected from the game, which really quickly. Really, really quickly. The fact Michael Pittman also got ejected from that was horrendous. Sure, both players are being physical and blocking hard, but you and Kyle Duggar rip off Michael Pittman's helmet, swipe at his head, by the way, get hit from behind by Kyle Van Noy, and somehow he still gets ejected in that kerfuffle, in that skirmish. That's stupid. Shooting in one ejection, shooting Kyle Duggar. See you later. Ripping a player's helmet off, taking a swipe at him. You're out. I don't see how Michael Pittman gets penalized for that. That's absolutely ludicrous. But you never see, again, Patriots players losing their cool like Kyle Duggar did. He had two fumbles by New England. Now, neither were lost. But again, uncharacteristically sloppy. And you had a defense that is known for what? Always limiting what the other offense does well. If you have a great receiver, Bill Belichick takes him out of the game. If you have a great run game, Usually what he does is sells out to stop the run. Well, John Taylor had himself a day. Jonathan Taylor could not be stopped. We never see that for a Bill Belichick coach defense. Unable to stop a strength of an opposing offense. It was uncharacteristically sloppy on Saturday night for New England. How about Taylor Huntley, by the way? We just talked about the decision by John Harbaugh, whether to go for it or not. But let's not take away from what Tyler Huntley did. He ran, I mean, let's call for what it is. He ran the Ravens offense yesterday more effectively, more efficiently on Sunday than what we have seen from Lamar in the last month or six weeks. That offense of the Ravens looked the best it has in two months. Not a good sign for the Ravens in terms of their playoff hopes with Lamar Jackson coming back, but credit to Tyler Huntley. 
28 of 40, 215 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, 73 yards on the ground, two rushing touchdowns, almost 300 total yards, four total touchdowns, zero turnovers. It's a really good game. The 30 points that the Ravens scored was the most they've scored in the last six games. Tyler Huntley really balled out. You could tell. Not only last week getting involved for most of the game against the Browns kind of got him comfortable, but also practicing as the QB1 for almost the entire week. Getting the reps, getting comfortable in the offense really worked out well. He's only sacked one time, which that's a really big stat, by the way. One sack is huge. Not because, again, he's able to escape pressure. It's because he's getting the ball out quick. He was finding his receivers, making quick decisions. Ball out. One read and done. Boom, boom, boom. Knew where he was going the ball. Lamar Jackson's more mobile than Tyler Huntley. But the thing is for Lamar Jackson, the reason why he's the second most sacked quarterback in the NFL with 38 sacks isn't part because the O-line, isn't part because the run game's not there, but it's also mostly because Lamar Jackson holds on to the ball too long. He's not trusting what he's seeing. He's not finding the open receiver. He's looking in the wrong windows. He's looking at the wrong guy sometimes. That's leading to him holding on to the ball too long, double clutching, running around in the pocket, and he's getting sacked. It's not because he's a statue back there. It's because he's holding on to the ball and not trusting what he's seeing. Tyler Huntley got the ball out quick. He was decisive with his throws, and that's why he was sacked one time. That's a huge, huge difference in that Ravens offense with Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson. Joe Lamar recognizes that going forward in the last three games. He comes back, gets the ball out quick, better decision-making, and gets and just lets his playmakers play. Instead of trying to play hero ball and run around back and forth, trying to make, you know, an insane play. Lamar Jackson's still the starter for the Ravens. But I'll say this. Baltimore better lock up Tyler Huntley. Make him the, quarter, uh, the backup quarterback. Because he fits that offense perfectly. And you had RG3, and you had Trace McSorley. But this is the perfect backup because he fits right into the unique offense that Baltimore runs. Right? Not many, no, one other, no other team runs this offense Baltimore does. So it's hard to find a backup that can fit the system. Tyler Huntley does that. He's the perfect complement to Lamar. So make sure it doesn't go anywhere. Great game for Tyler Huntley. Let's go from great, pretty good, to just horrible. Now is what we saw in the Titans-Steelers game on Sunday. I mean, you can't feel good about either team. Both teams are feeble. And if somehow Pittsburgh makes the playoffs, I don't think they will. I do not think they will. They're not a very good team, and the schedule's very challenging. If they somehow sneak in the playoffs, you're going to have any playoff team trying to, you know, figure out a way to play the Steelers, figure out a way to play the Titans. Neither of them scare you. Because when you look, at least for the Pittsburgh perspective, they were dominating the first half. So Tennessee, you give them credit. They moved the ball up and down the field. They're up 13-3 at halftime. They had, you know, they were, again, talking about moving the ball up and down the field. They were moving it with ease. From 20 to 20, it was like there was no defense on the field for Pittsburgh. Ryan Tannehill was sharp. The run game was there. Everything was working for Tennessee. Second half, what happened? Turnovers. They've been the death knell for Tennessee all season long, and they continue to pop up at the most inopportune times. Four turnovers for Tennessee against the Steelers helped get them into the back in this game. Helped win them the game, frankly. Ryan Tannehill responsible for two of them, one fumble, one pick. He's not been uh, careful and cautious with the ball. And you get turnovers. That has been the ultimate disaster for Tennessee. 
They have a minus seven turnover differential. One of the worst in the NFL. They have 25 giveaways this year. Second worst in the league. They are giving the ball away at an alarming rate. And for an offense without Derrick Henry that struggles to put up points without its most important player on the field, you cannot now be killing yourself with fumbles and picks. And that's exactly what Tennessee has done. And look at this. You had a Steelers offense win the game 19-13 despite the fact that they totaled for the entire game. 60 minutes, four quarters. Total offense. Pittsburgh had 168 yards. Not 168 rushing yards. Not 168 passing yards. The entirety of the Steelers offense totaled 168 yards. They held the ball for just 20 minutes. So a 40 to 20 time of possession advantage for Tennessee. And the Titans ran for 201 rushing yards without Derrick Henry. So you run for 200 yards, you hold the ball for 40 minutes. If you're Tennessee, you hold the Steelers to 168 yards of total offense and you lose the game. You lose the game. If you can't win with those raw numbers, I mean, you're, you're in trouble. This division is absolutely up for grabs if you're losing games like that. They play Tennessee does the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Texans. Are you going two and one in that stretch? I don't feel great about it. Right now, Tennessee. You can't pencil Tennessee in for a win against almost anyone right now. They stink. And for the Steelers, I just told you they, they had 168 yards of total offense. They could have moved the ball. We'll be kind. Their offense is pedestrian. Their defense is not very good. They won this game because they are playing an even more feeble team than they are in Tennessee. So now you look at where Pittsburgh is, 7-6-1. They're not scaring you. Tennessee sure as hell isn't scaring you. Again, if somehow Pittsburgh makes the playoffs, you're going to have teams lining themselves up to play Pittsburgh, lining themselves up to play Tennessee. Those are the two teams you want to face in the postseason. Those are the closest things to guaranteed wins in the AFC you're going to get. Both teams are horrible. How about the Dolphins? Speaking of playoffs, by the way, they're legitimately in the picture. The Dolphins legitimately can make a run here. I don't think in the end they will get there. But when you look at the magic number, I think the magic number is 10 and 7. You get the 10 wins in the AFC, you're looking really, really pretty for a playoff spot. The Dolphins now beat the Jets 31-24. After starting 1-7, are now 7-7 with three games left to have a chance to run the table. Their final three games. Don't tell me if I'm crazy. At the Saints, Monday night. We saw Taysom Hill play quarterback. Okay, you have a chance. At the Titans, the next week. We saw the Tennessee play against Pittsburgh. Yuck. And home against the Patriots, the one stadium that's been a house of horrors for Bill Belichick. Not crazy. 10-7 is a legitimate possibility. I know everyone's going to get into a tongue of a low for the pick six that tied the game. But how about this? How about we give Tua some credit? After he threw an ill-advised pass that was picked off and returned for a touchdown to tie the game in the fourth quarter, you know what Tua did? Led the team down for a touchdown-clinching drive. Threw the game-winning touchdown pass to Devontae Parker. Bounced back after a horrendous pick. 
and he was able to lead the Dolphins to a victory. That's what you, what, that's what you want to see from a young quarterback. He's going to make mistakes. He's not perfect. People want to hate on Tua, and you know what? There was, I say reasons to, but there's reasons to have doubts. But then you also got to recognize what this guy does well. Pick six bounces back to lead the team down for the game-winning score. Not many quarterbacks are doing that. That's impressive stuff by Tua. Give him credit. Bad pick made up for it with a touchdown ceiling drive to win the game. He deserves credit. So the Dolphins six in a row. They're legitimate playoff contenders. I don't know if they'll get in. Legitimate playoff contenders. Though credit to Miami for even playing meaningful games now down the stretch after their one and seven start. Speaking of meaningful, Bengals got a meaningful playoff. I'll say clinching victory yesterday. They're going to get in the playoffs. Whether it's the, as the winners of the AFC North, which I think will be decided next week, or whether it is um, as a wild card team. They got off the mat. They do what good playoff teams do. They do what just flat out playoff teams do. You win important games. You get off the mat and dust yourself off. They had two crushing defeats in a row. So the Chargers, which they got off to an awful start, came back and should have won that game before letting it slip. Then you should have beat the 49ers. Didn't do that. Another game where you come back and lose in overtime. Credit to them, where they were able to grind it out and, and beat a Broncos team in a fashion, by the way, that we have not seen the Bengals win too often with. And we know they can light it up with Joe Burrow, with Jamar Chase, with T. Higgins, with Joe Mixon, right? We know they can score and win a shootout kind of game. What we haven't seen too often, and what we didn't, you know, weren't totally sure of, can they win a physical, tough game? Or it's just you grind it out. Who is the tougher team physically? Who is the tougher team mentally? Well, that was yesterday, and that was the Bengals. Say what you want. The Broncos are in the playoff hunt. I don't think they're a very good team, but they're 7-6 entering this game. Same record as the Bengals. You're on the road. It's a tough defense you're going against if you're Joe Burrow. Mentally, you know, you're not really doing a ton right yet. Joe Burrow just throw 157 yards in the air. Joe Mixon was limited to just 58 yards on the ground. So your offense, your two best players, weren't truly, you know, having any sort of great game. And you still won the game. That's the mark of a good team. A tough team. A gritty team. Joe Burrow's an eh, okay game. Joe Mixon doesn't really do too much on the ground. You still find a way to win the game. And guess what? Now you wake up first place in the AFC North. They stay that way if the Browns lose today. That was a very impressive and gutty win by the Bengals on the road in Denver, coming off of two crushing defeats in a row. Big, big win for their playoff hopes. I think this clinches that they will be a playoff team. Now it's just a question of will they win the AFC North, which I think they will. They play the, the Ravens next week, or will they be a wild card team? We'll finish up with this. Sunday Night Football, we talked about it from the Buccaneers' perspective earlier. I'm not too concerned uh, about their loss. But from the New Orleans side, defense was amazing. The offense, though, look, I know Sean Payne was home, right? He was not at the game. He was not coaching the game. He unfortunately had COVID. Sounds like he's doing well, which is obviously the most important thing. But I really hope now having him see the game from a different perspective, watching the game from his couch, just like me and you were yesterday, I hope that he finally sees what we all see. Taysom Hill is not a good quarterback. He is not a viable NFL quarterback in the game. You need to reward your defense. What you saw last night, confusing Tom Brady at every single turn, making him look mortal for the first time in a long time, shutting him out for the first time in 15 years. 
You need to reward your defense, your talented defense, with a quarterback that can actually play. Taysom Hill ain't it. Everyone has known that. We have pounded the drum for weeks and months and years about Taysom Hill not being a good quarterback. The only person who doesn't believe it, doesn't see it, is Sean Payton because he keeps giving him opportunities, whether it's through injury, whether it's through trying to win the job. Sean, I'm not a Saints fan, but I am begging you, man. You got to get a real quarterback. You cannot allow this defense to go to waste with Taysom Hill running this offense. He is brutal. I get you're shorthanded this year. I, if I was you, I would have brought back Drew Brees or Phillip Rivers. You didn't do so, so now you're stuck with Taysom Hill. But again, last night, the defense is going to get all the credit. But offensively, Taysom Hill, more incompletions than completions. 13 for 27. That means 13 completions, 14 incomplete. Really pushed the ball down the field. The one time he did was kind of a, just a jump ball that he got lucky on to Marquez Callaway. And now, Taysom Hill can't play. He can't throw. His legs weren't even that effective yesterday. He is a, a fun gadget kind of player. Jack of all trades, if you will. You want to play a receiver one play, running back the next, quarterback the next, fine. But he is not a full-time quarterback. He is absolutely not. Do not allow the dominance of Tom Brady to have you forget that on the other side of the ball, your quarterback was dominated, frankly, even more than Tom Brady was. That Saints offense, I know they scored nine points, was even more feeble than the Tampa Bay offense. I should tell you something. Taysom Hill ain't the guy. You owe it to your defense. Forget the team. You owe it to your defense to get a real quarterback on that roster next year. Do not even think. Don't even think about bringing Taysom Hill back. I know you signed him to the big-time deal. Enough of Taysom Hill quarterback. Give your team an actual chance here to win because it ain't with that guy. So that'll do it for quick hits right here on the Ryan Hickey Show. When we do return, the Indianapolis Colts score a huge win over the Patriots on Saturday. Are they now the most dangerous team in the NFL? We will discuss that when we do return here. Listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to back the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show as we are getting in the Christmas spirit. I was actually surprised. This song, I played this song intentionally on purpose here because played it on Saturday. Playing in, you know, in the spirit, we're a week away from Christmas. I thought, and I think this is one of the most underrated Christmas songs. I feel like you don't really hear it a lot. You don't really hear when people are talking about, oh, what's your favorite Christmas song? You don't really hear this song come up too often. I think it's a really, really good song. Catching, good tune, nice beat. So I said, all right, put it on Twitter. At Ryan underscore Hickey number three. It's the personal account, if you will, not exactly the show account. But Ryan underscore Hickey three on Twitter on Saturday said this is the most underrated song in, in the holiday season. Didn't say it's the best. Didn't say it's, you know, you know, egregious and no one loves it. Everyone should love this and be at the top of your playlist. So tonight, it's a really good song. I don't think it gets as much appreciation and love as it should. And man, some of the replies, people were, were not having that. They do not like this song, whether it's Paul McCartney, whether it's just the, the simplicity of the song people were upset about. I did not expect a, a lot of genuine Christmas you know, song-loving people to be pushing back on wonderful Christmas time. So that's for me. Good song. I don't see how you can't listen to it and get in a, in a good mood, but 
A lot of people out there do not like it. The 10 o'clock hour of the Ryan Hickey Show, right, is 10.13 in the morning. So the 10 o'clock hour Eastern is always sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, especially now during the holidays, right? Christmas time, Hanukkah just passed, plenty of holidays, New Year's coming up, plenty of time to always celebrate, be around friends and family. So make sure those friends and family are always happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing. Get a little bit of both. Looks good and tastes good. Charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. Let's talk about what I think is the most dangerous team in the AFC. That is the Indianapolis Colts. Massive, massive win. Over the Patriots of Saturday night, they catapult themselves 8-6 and six, currently on the season, fifth place, uh, the first wildcard spot in the AFC. The reason why for me, they are legitimately, not trying to be a homer here, trying to keep it real. They are legitimately the most dangerous team in the AFC for two reasons. Number one, obviously, they're playing their best football this season. We'll get into that in a second. But more importantly, they are playing a style of football that's really, really tough to beat. And let's start there, right? Because if you're dangerous, that means you got to beat any team. There's no team in the AFC that scares you, and there's no team in the AFC that should want to play you. Everyone should be saying, how can we avoid this team? That team's the Colts. Because their style of play is going to give every single team in the postseason fits. Hey, it, it, the secret for the Colts is not a secret. Formula is very simple. Run the ball, get turnovers. Establish your own with Jonathan Taylor. Give your offense extra possessions by taking the ball away in defense. But here's the thing, right? It's not that the Colts are doing it with deception. The thing, though, for the Colts is that right now, no one can prevent them from this. They know what's coming. Teams offensively know, hey, we got to take care of the ball. We got to make sure, you know, they're going to try to punch the ball. We got to have ball security. Still getting turnovers. Hey, we got to stop the run. Jonathan Taylor is the best player on that team. That offense runs through JT. We got to make sure he doesn't go off. And they can't do it. Teams know what's coming. The Colts are telling you, here's what we're going to do. Stop us. And teams right now aren't doing so. That's to me why this, this, this win over the Patriots is so monumental. It's not the fact that they beat the Patriots, who were on a, a seven-game winning streak. They, at the time, were at the top of the AFC, or could have, with a win, gone back to the top of the AFC. They are looking like one of the best teams in the conference. All of that aside, is it important for the Colts? I haven't beat them since 2009. There's a lot of things there and the reasons, a lot of reasons why this win for the Colts is important for them going forward. But the biggest thing, though, is that they were able to tell Bill Belichick, we are doing this, stop us, and he couldn't. The coach and the team that is most known for taking away your strengths weren't able to take the Colts' strengths away. So if you have a Bill Belichick defense that can't stop Jonathan Taylor, let me ask you this. Who's stopping Jonathan Taylor? Which AFC defense is saying he's not beating us and we're going to hold him to 50 yards? If the, if the Patriots can't do it, I don't see who is. If we're talking about ball security, which team is going to protect the ball better than the Patriots? I don't see a team. And guess what? This Patriots still couldn't do so. Like Again, we talk about the what? Colts run game is their strength. Carson Wentz, as we know, cannot be trusted in the big moment. There is still, and Philly fans, I see what you're going through here, watching them all season long. 
Carson Wentz is right now a guy who can light it up against lesser opponents and lesser defenses. Come second half games, come playing against good defenses, come fourth quarter, big decision time, his decision-making at times is reckless. So you want to establish a run and run the ball as much as you can to get the ball out of Carson Wentz's hands. Take the pressure off of him. So you knew going into this game on Saturday, the Patriots are going to force Carson Wentz to throw the ball. And guess what? Instead, they couldn't stop Jonathan Taylor. You knew Bill Belichick, had, had a bye, by the way, had two weeks to think of ways to slow down the, the best running back in the NFL. He could not do so. Taylor had 170 yards on 29 carries and a touchdown. The Colts as a team ran for 226 yards. And the thing was, not only did the Colts run effectively, they didn't have any balance. They basically stole the Patriots' playbook against the Bills on that Monday night game where the Patriots ran 49 plays, 46 runs. They told the Bills, hey, we're running the ball. I dare you to stop us. The Colts basically took that, put their own spin on it, and they did the same thing. Told Bill Belichick and the Patriots' defense, we're running the ball. I dare you to stop us. And they couldn't. The Colts attempted just 12 passes. Carson Wentz had five completions. Just three more than what Mac Jones had on that Monday night. So the Patriots knew what was coming. Right? There's no keeping the Patriots defense off balance with the run pass, run pass. They didn't know what was coming, so both were working. Because you couldn't, you know, when you gear up for the run, the pass is coming and vice versa. The Colts told you, we're running the ball. Stop us. And they couldn't. They still produced, at, you know, or the Colts averaged 5.8 yards per carry. 5.8 yards per carry. Tell them the defense what's coming. Tell them Bo Belichick, has, who's known for if you agree with your right hand, we're going to make you play with your left. You better learn how to win passing the ball because we're not going to allow you to run the, uh, run the ball. And the Colts said, all right, fine. We're going to still run the ball anyway, and did so. 5.8 yards per carry, 7.4 yards per carry on first down. Stay ahead of the chains. Keep the defense on their toes. And there are plenty of runs where the Patriots stuffed the run and Jonathan Taylor's power, strength, guided them for four yards, guided them for five yards. You told the Patriots what's coming, and they still couldn't stop it. So again, if New England, if the master, the master, the best to ever do it in terms of taking away what you do well, limiting your strengths on offense or defense, mostly offense. If the one guy who has made a career out of doing that couldn't do so in this game, what defense in the other, you know, in the AFC is going to stop the Colts offense running the ball? Chargers, absolutely not. Bengals, no way. Ravens, I'll see when I believe. Bills, frauds. Like you had the Colts, again, it's not just one game, which makes them dangerous. You have to have a, a record of doing so. Even in the game they lost. I get they lost. They played the Bucs a few weeks ago. The Bucs came into that game as the number one rushing defense in the NFL. The Colts are down 31-24 in the fourth quarter. They needed a game-tying drive. Do you know what they did? They ran the ball down their, the Buccaneers' throat. 10-play, 75-yard drive that tied the game. Eight of those 10 plays. 58 of the 75 yards they drove to tie the game late in the fourth quarter came on Jonathan Taylor runs. It's the number one rushing defense in the NFL. Colts game on the line, gave the ball to Jonathan Taylor, 
Again, eight, uh, 10 plays, 75 yards, eight of them to Jonathan Taylor, 58 yards on the ground, touchdown, tie game. Now, they lost the game. Defense couldn't get a stop. They got Tom Brady. Okay. Clutch moment. Telling you to run the ball, couldn't stop it. The Bills' defense, efficiency, one of the most efficient defenses in the NFL. One of the still top defenses statistically in the NFL. Shredded. 200 total yards, five touchdowns with Jonathan Taylor. 185 on the ground. Couldn't stop it. So again, what defense is going to stop the run? There is none. There's no defense in the AFC that could slow down the rushing attack of the Colts heading to the postseason. That's a dangerous game to play. If you're the Chiefs, if you're the Bills, if you're the Patriots, if you're the Ravens, excuse me, the Bengals, whoever. Good luck, the Titans. You're going to need to slow down the run in order to win, and so far, no team has been able to do so. So that's offensively. Defensively, again, the Colts are a, a ball-hawking defense. Number one in the NFL with 31 turnovers forced. They have given their offense extra opportunities to score each and every week, and they have cashed in in doing so. Like, what is the, one, of the, one of the small ways that a game is flipped in the playoffs? Turnovers. Which team wins a turnover battle? Usually in the playoffs, the team that wins a turnover battle wins the game. I just told you, the Colts forced 31 turnovers so far through 14 games. They're number one in the NFL to their turnover margin at plus 14. They are winning the turnover battle almost every single game. They're keeping care of the, you know, keeping the care of the ball in the offense. Defensively, they are ball hawk. Again, two more picks of Mac Jones. They forced two of the fumbles now. They couldn't recover either. But ball security was an issue for New England on a team, by the way, that is always buttoned up, that is always careful with the ball. That's how you win playoff games. That's what makes the Colts the most dangerous team in the AFC. Offensively, no one can stop the, the run game. And it's not only John and Taylor, it's all the, uh, the offensive line they're getting pushed. By the way, they won this game against the Patriots. They ran for 226 yards as a team. Uh, their Pro Bowl center and Ryan Kelly out for the game. Backup center in, didn't miss a beat. Still were plowing through. Defense, forced turnovers left and right. Always putting the ball on the ground. Always, you know, in lanes, in throwing lanes. Giving the offense extra opportunities. That's how you win playoff games. That's why the Colts are so dangerous. Not to mention, you talk about peaking at the right time. But that's why December football is so important for a lot of these uh, Super Bowl contending teams. Because now is when you ride into four. Now is when you want to play your best football this season heading into the playoffs. I mean, the Colts are playing some of the best football at the season of any team right now. They're 1-4. They were horrendous. Couldn't close the game. But now in the months of November and December, they have put together their f- best football of the season. Winners of five out of the last six. The offense has been white hot. Coming into Saturday, coming into week 15, they had the number one, in the off- uh, the number one offense in the NFL from week f- uh, 5 to 15, averaging 32 points per game. That's a good stretch of games uh, as an example to show you this offense has really been clicking. So now you have a team coming in very confident in the Colts, playing their best football this season, starting now to win games, close out games. They blow up the Bills. They beat the Patriots. Now they play the Cardinals on the road on Christmas. You, you win that game, brimming with confidence. The Colts are going to be an extremely tough out. And I think they send a message. 
to everyone in the AFC on Saturday night. You don't want to play in the playoffs. You want to make sure you avoid the Colts in the playoffs because they're the most dangerous team in the AFC. They can beat anyone. Anyone. Even the Chiefs. They are legit. So I'm curious your thoughts. You watch that game. You see the Colts kind of rise from the dead, if you will. Are they Super Bowl contenders? Do they scare you kind of the way I just laid out? Are you buying Indianapolis as a legitimate Super Bowl contender? Facebook and comment Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We get your thoughts. Are the Colts legitimate Super Bowl contenders? And also, when we do come back, we got a loaded Monday and Tuesday slate. Three teams. You talk about must wins. Absolute, absolute must wins either tonight or tomorrow. We'll explain who those three teams are and why these games are so important. We do return this into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Some big news to get to here in just one second regarding uh, the status of a few players for tonight's game. I do want to quickly circle back to a discussion we had about the Indianapolis Colts and whether they are Super Bowl contenders or not. Now, I want to clear some up in case there's any confusion. I'm not saying they're Super Bowl favorites in the AFC. I can't tell you that. Carson Wentz, unfortunately, and my, my lack of belief and trust in does not allow me to put them up there. Plus, I'm still a big believer in the Chiefs. With that said, though, I think the Colts are the most dangerous team, and they are, they are a team capable of beating anyone. Now, the retort to that, as I got from a good friend in Brian Tripp, an Eagles fan who has gone through the entire Carson Wentz experience, both good and bad, did point out to me that, hey, the Colts passing were 5 of 12, five completions like we mentioned. One pick could have been, frankly, three or four. Carson Wentz was extremely shaky, easily the worst game he has had uh, in his Colts tenure. Easily. Looked like 2020 Carson Wentz. That does not make the Colts Super Bowl favorites in his mind. And he's right in terms of Super Bowl favorites. With that said, though, here is, I guess I'm going into the cycle of Carson Wentz defense, but here I am. Here is me defending Carson Wentz in this um, discussion when it comes to Colts and, and the playoffs. Number one, we said, the Colts soldier they're running the ball, couldn't be stopped. I don't think there's a defense in the, in the AFC, come playoff time, that will be able to totally take Jonathan Taylor out of the game. So right now, that means the Colts, again, should still be able to run the ball on every single team they're playing. So you're not going to still need Carson Wentz to make, let's say, 40 throws a game to win you the game. That's number one. Number two, he played the worst game of the season against the best pass defense he's going to play all year. Okay, that's fine. When you look around the rest of the AFC, do I think that he will replicate that game against the Chiefs? or against a Ravens defense he already threw for 400 yards against, or a Chargers defense that's leaky, or the Bengals. I do think he'll bounce back. I think this is the worst we saw Carson Wentz, and at times he was desperately trying to get the Patriots back in the game. But I do think this is the worst we've seen, and you're still able to win with a bad Carson Wentz. Like, think about it. The Colts beat a 9-4 
red-hot Patriots team coached by Bill Belichick with Carson Wentz having the worst game of the season. The worst game of the season. Still won the game. Still won the game by double digits, for being honest. You know, if we look at the score. So I do think going forward here, we won't see as brutal of a performance again. And if you get even just a, a modicum of improvement or a little bit more ball security from number two, that only improves the Colts' uh, the Colts' chances of winning. So I'm feeling good. I am feeling good. Now, Super Bowl favorites, no. Because again, that entire game, even up 20 to nothing, I'm sweating because you're waiting, waiting for a Carson Wentz pick to come, and that eventually did come. Can't say I, I trust him in the fourth quarter. Absolutely not. But as long as Jonathan Taylor is continuing to run the ball the way he is, you're not going to need to rely on Carson Wentz that much. So far, so good. Arizona will be a nice test for Wentz and see if he can make a few more throws than he did on Saturday night. But if you can win against the Patriots with Carson Wentz playing his worst game of the season, I think that's a pretty good sign of your offense going forward heading into the playoffs. Now, some big news coming down on Twitter regarding one of the games today, right? We have four games between tomorrow and, uh, or today and tomorrow because of COVID. One of those games is the Browns and the Raiders. Now, I think three teams have absolute must, must wins this weekend, or this week, I should say. The Raiders are one, the Eagles are another, and the Rams are the third. Well, the, the, the reason why this is a must win for the Raiders is you look at who the Browns are going to have available, or who I should say won't be available. It's coming down on Twitter today. The Browns will not have Kevin Stefanski, according to ESPN, both Jake Trotter and Diane Rossini on that. So the head coach for the Browns, out. Also reports that both Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum, the, ba- uh, the starting quarterback and the backup quarterback, both won't be able to test out of COVID protocol today. Both are out. So you do not have Baker Mayfield or Case Keenan means Nick Mullins, the third stringer, is going to start. So you're the Raiders now. You're going against a team with no head coach without their top two quarterbacks. Now, Mary Kay Cabot also has the roster. So the Browns are going to miss today. Baker Mayfield, Case Keenum. No Jarvis Langer, the number one receiver. No Austin Hooper, one of their top tight ends. No Jedrick Wills, their left tackle. Malik McDowell, a good defensive lineman. Grant Delpit, a solid safety. Ron Harris, another safety. You are, you are facing a Browns team that, again, is missing basically all of their biggest contributors. Top two quarterbacks, number one receiver, number one tight end, uh, your left tackle, two safeties, a defensive end, your head coach. This is a must win for the Raiders. If you lose this game, I'm not kidding, relegate them. Send them to the Mountain West. Have them play Boise State and San Jose State and Fresno State and San Diego State. Go play against those kind of teams because if you can't beat this Browns team, this iteration of the Cleveland Browns today, pack it up. Play with 31 franchises, break up the Raiders, disband the Raiders, and have them earn their way back to the NFL. Go play the Mountain West. Go play teams you can beat because you can't beat a team again. The other head coach, top two quarterbacks, number one receiver, number one tight end, number one uh, left tackle, two top safeties, a defensive tackle, plus more, you don't deserve to be in the NFL. The Raiders have no chance of making the playoffs. This is just for, at this point, pride. 
It's going to be on national TV. It's on NFL Network. Everyone's going to be watching this game. You can't beat this Browns team. Pack it up. As, Joe, uh, as House of Pain would say, pack it in. Your season's done. See you later. Mountain West time. Start scheduling some bowl games. Maybe you can play in your own game. Your, the Las Vegas Bowl. Maybe you can get, get in there before it's too late. You don't belong in the NFL if you can't win this game against this Browns team. Same thing can be said, by the way, for the Eagles. That's why tomorrow's game for Philly against the Washington football team is also a must-win. They are facing another depleted Washington football team team because of COVID. Top, their top two quarterbacks, right? Cleveland's top two quarterbacks out. Baker and Case Keenum. Nick Mullins, a third stringer playing. Washington football team, same thing. Now, there's a chance Taylor Heineke and um, Kyle Allen could both test out of COVID protocol. But between now and then, so far, the top two quarterbacks for the football team are out of the game currently. So if they can't play, you're going to face either Kyle Shermer or AFL star Garrett Gilbert. Garrett Gilbert or Kyle Shermer is the quarterback you will be facing. Again, if Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen can't clear COVID protocols, even if they do, they also haven't practiced all week. They've been in the protocols for the last week. So you're not at practice. You're not with your teammates. Even though that's sure, you're... Um, You, you know, you, you've been there for so long. Sorry about that. I just totally blanked out. You've been there for a while, so you kind of know the offense. You, you still do need reps, and they've just been on, at home on the couch for the last week. You can't lose to a quarterback that, even though he's been there, is just getting off the couch in Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen because they've been COVID protocol week and then beat your team, by the way, for a playoff spot. Washington is currently in seventh. The Eagles right now nipping on their heels. This is a massive win for Philly. You got to and you're the healthier team and not to mention by the way I know the Eagles are upset just like the Raiders are upset because it's uh, giving they feel an unfair advantage to the other opponent because you're giving them more time to get players back in the Eagles case though this game moving uh, getting pushed from uh, Sunday to Tuesday is actually also benefiting Philly Jalen Hurts has been able to practice more. He's been able to fully practice, and now it looks like his ankle is going to be healthy enough for him to start tonight. He was going to be questionable if the game was on Sunday. Who knows if he would have played or not. Maybe Gardner Mitchell would have got the start. Now you can get your QB1 back by the game getting pushed back two days in Jalen Hurts. So you can complain all you want about the Washington football team getting healthier. You are also getting healthier in this game, which is why it's another must-win for Philly. A lot of playoff you know, spots on the line. But also, you're playing against a depleted Washington football team. you got to take advantage. you got to beat a, a lesser opponent, even if they get some players back who haven't been practicing all week, who aren't as crisp and fresh as you are. Anyway, by the way, you could get your starting quarterback back. Must win for Philly. Just like it's a must win for the Raiders. Now, the, the Rams-Seahawks game tomorrow night is also a little bit of a different situation here. It's a must-win for me for the Rams, but not because they're playing a depleted Seahawks team because the Rams are the one that have a COVID outbreak. But they need to win this game because you cannot ruin right now the momentum that you got after that Monday night victory over Arizona. We just saw the Cardinals lose by 18 to the Lions on Sunday. That division is open. People, you know, two weeks ago, writing the Cardinals in as the top seed and everyone's going to go through the desert in the NFC. Now, all of a sudden, if you're the Rams... You're one game back if you win tomorrow. You split the season series. 
the uh, the Cardinals have a ch- more challenging schedule. They play the Colts next week. So you right now have a legitimate chance to win the division if you're L.A. you got to just take care of business. This is a, a reeling Seattle team. Put them out of their misery. You're getting healthier. right? You get Jalen Ramsey back. He just activated off the COVID list. OBJ, Daryl Henderson also activated. So you get your top you know, corner and your second best defensive player back. You're one of your top receivers. You're top running back. You now have a chance to win the division, get a home playoff game, and improve your seating. Get out of the wild card. This is a huge game for the Rams to not only keep the momentum going from their win last week, but also now really, truly capitalize on a Cardinals team that's playing their worst football this season and has opened the door to the NFC West. Must win for the Rams. Must win for the Eagles. And in case you're just tuning in, must win for the Raiders because the Browns are depleted. Now, the Cleveland technically has until 2 o'clock today to activate any player they want off the COVID list. But right now, it is not looking good for Cleveland. You have, according to Mary Kay Cabot, already the players that they believe will be out for today's game because of COVID. No Kevin Stefanski. No Baker Mayfield. No Case Keenum. No Jarvis Landry, no Austin Hooper, no Jedrick Wills, no Malik McDowell, Grant Delpit, Ronnie Harrison, and of course, uh, Mary Kay Cabot, also many more. Browns have 20 total players in the COVID list. So you are missing your head coach, your top two quarterbacks, your top receiver, your top tight end, your left tackle, your, you know, two of your top safeties, a defensive tackle, more players. That is massive. Massive pieces missing here for Las Vegas, uh, for the Cle- for Cleveland. So if you're Las Vegas, you have to win this game no matter what. Relegate them to the Mountain West Conference if you do end up losing. It is going to be my, it's going to be just a mash unit for the Browns uh, later today in Cleveland taking on the Raiders. You, if you are uh, Las Vegas, cannot, absolutely cannot lose this game. We do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. Keep updated more. Again, we got two games tonight. You got the Monday night that was originally scheduled, Bears-Vikings, plus a 5 o'clock Eastern game, Browns and uh, Raiders. We just told you about some of the players that will not be there for Cleveland. We'll keep you updated on any more uh, roster fluctuations between now and the top of the hour when we're out of here. But I do quickly want to circle back uh, to the conversation we had earlier. Cardinals, uh, and the Buccaneers. Both teams suffer just mind-numbing losses on Sunday. Are they still Super Bowl contenders? I'll tell you why one team is not. We do return your listen to the Reineke Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show as we close it out on a Monday. I would say after week 15, but I mean, half of week 15 is, is done. Four more games, two tonight, two tomorrow. So we are still a long way away from the conclusion of week 15 in the NFL. And the Browns would just be absolutely decimated today. No Kevin Stefanski, their head coach. No Baker Mayfield. No Case Keenum, their top two quarterbacks. Their top tight end is out. Austin Hooper, their top receiver in Jarvis Landry is out. Their top lineman in Jedrick Wills, their left tackle is out. 
it's going to be a total, total mash unit for the Browns tonight against the Raiders. Raiders cannot, cannot lose this game, that is for sure. Speaking of losing, though, two teams I thought lost completely shocking and mind-numbing uh, games yesterday. That was the Cardinals to the Lions and the Bucks to the Saints. Now, I think there should be concern more for the Cardinals and the Buccaneers. Here's why. For the Cardinals, this feels like another tailspin coming. To me, the Cardinals are out of the Super Bowl conversation. They're out of the Super Bowl conversation because this is still a young roster with a young head coach and a young quarterback that have had seasons spiral out of control before, have been unable to stop them. And this feels like it's happening yet again. Now, they're going to make the playoffs. There's, we're not talking them missing the playoffs. They're in. But when it comes to two weeks ago, them being Super Bowl contenders, maybe having the NFC go through Arizona, to now, I mean, I don't know if they can win a playoff game. They're currently the four seed right now in the NFC. That's significant because if they even hold on to it, excuse me, they win the division, but they're still the four seed. That means they are going to play the Rams. Rams are the five seed, four plays the five. Are you feeling good if you're a Cardinals fan seeing the Rams again? I'm not. I'm absolutely not. And the Rams have saved some of their worst football this season for right now. They start off 7-0. They were the last undefeated team standing. Since then, they've lost uh, their 3-4. Three 3-4. And four. Three and four. They were playing some bad football, and that happened yet again on Sunday. They were shown up by the Lions. They were dominated physically. Couldn't stop the run. Jared Goff is Mr. Efficient. Jared Goff is Mr. L.A. Ram 2017 Pro Bowl quarterback. What are we, what's going on? 21 to 26, three passing touchdowns, no turnovers. Jared Goff, the Lions' Jared Goff. Not a good quarterback. Really not a good quarterback in L.A. But at least in 2017, 2018, he got to the Super Bowl, went to the Pro Bowl. He looked like a competent quarterback. But the Cardinals made him look, look Jared Goff like he was back at Cal carving up, you know, the, the Oregon State defense. It was tough to watch. Kyler Murray was, out, you know, out of sync. He was under pressure all game long. This was a really, really bad game for Arizona. And I don't think you can just call it a throwaway game. Okay, everyone has a stinker. You're coming off a Monday night loss to the Rams that I think was, oh, okay, people are like, oh, I, don't know about the, I don't know about the Cardinals anymore. Uh, the Rams team looked really good. Not many people were even bought in on the, uh, on the Cardinals anyway. Right? kind of felt like that was always the disrespected team where it's like, ah, oh, the Cardinals are a fun story. Yeah, they're 10-3 or they're 10-2, but we really believe in them. You know, I'll, I'll still take the Packers or, or the Bucks or maybe even the Rams. I was one of those people. And now you're starting to see it's not even a question about the Cardinals. They're out of the Super Bowl conversation. They can't be trusted. And now, again, you have Cliff Kingsbury – who has made a habit out of swan diving the second half of the year, doing so again. Every single year he has been head coach, whether it's with the Cardinals or Texas Tech, he's had a losing record the second half of the year. Look it up. I went through the numbers before. Every single year, without fail. That's what he does. And it's happening yet again. Now, for the Cardinals, they got off to a hot start to where they're going to make the playoffs. But it's not going to lead to, I think, the end result of, of making this Super Bowl or even making the NFC title game. I don't think it's going to lead to a playoff win, to be honest. So I am very, very concerned about the Cardinals. I think this loss is telling because the way they lost, they were just blown out of the water in every single aspect to the Lions. Not coming out focused in December is inexcusable. Inexcusable. 
You're going to lose games in December. It, you know, no Super Bowl team is going to go perfect in the month of December. I get that. So it's not just the loss. It's the fact that they didn't look like they cared. Kyler Murray came out of the postgame and said, I didn't think it was going to be a physical game. What do you mean you didn't think it was going to be a physical game? All the Lions do is play hard, play tough. They don't win many games. They don't win any. I mean, they barely win any games. Fundamentally, they're sloppy. They don't make the winning plays. They don't have a lot of talent on the team. But they always play hard for Dan Campbell. They will give it everything they have for 60 minutes. That's the only thing you can guarantee in Detroit. And Kyler Murray goes, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't know this was coming. I mean, I don't know what film they were watching this week, but Kyler Murray sit back and goes, this is a different team. What are you talking about, Kyler? That shows, you know, the lack of focus from the team that's on the head coach. Not having your guys ready to play. Coming off a Monday night loss, by the way. Inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. I'm out on the Cardinals. But for the, the Bucks, why I'm still encouraged, why I'm still not really panicking, truthful, number one, I will chalk this loss up as just, you know what? Dennis Allen has Tom Brady's number. He's the, he's the guy. He's the defensive coordinator, and the Saints are that defense that match up perfectly with Tom Brady. They're able to always confuse him. They always have new wrinkles. They're all over you know, his receivers. Injuries didn't help in this game either. Now you lose your top three weapons in, in Chris Godwin, who now, according to Ian Rapport, looks like he'll be out for the remainder of the regular season. Anticipate he will return for the postseason, but the last three games of the regular season, he'll be out for with a sprained MCL. Mike Evans leaves with a hamstring injury, and, and Leonard Fournette leaves the game too. Doesn't help. But I think that's one of those things where just the Saints defense matches up really well, where it's always going to be a headache for Tom Brady. But number two, the reason, truly reason uh, why I'm not concerned is the Buccaneers have been there before. Just last year, they were 7-5 and five through 12 games. The offense was, was not looking very good. The team was not looking very good. They were able to rebound and put it together when it mattered. We have seen that happen. Obviously, we know it led to the Super Bowl. We have not seen that with Arizona. We have not seen them get out of this tailspin and have it lead excuse me, to success. That's why I'm nervous. That's why I'm not buying the Cardinals, but why I am still sticking strong with the Bucks. That'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Really do appreciate all of you tuned in who made us a part of your Monday morning. We really do appreciate it. I'm so happy to be back. We will be back on Thursday. little pre-Christmas, get you ready for week 16 uh, in the NFL show, ready for you. So very excited about that. So have a great rest of your week. Hopefully, if you know, not working. It's a, it's an enjoyable, easy week. If you are, hopefully we'll get you that much closer to the holiday season starting on Friday. Have a great rest of your week. Stay safe. Stay safe. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Where else? But the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.